Welcome back to Apply the Word. It's been a few weeks and we're going to be covering a couple messages today. Today is October 14th. We are getting close to Halloween um, and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas. It's the holiday season and it definitely feels like it here in Florida where it is 87 degrees every day. (laughs) Um, We're going to be talking about my message from a couple weeks ago on dreams um, and then our pastor, Benny Phillips, dad's message yesterday, um, and we will discuss them both. We will have an interesting, I think, discussion, a little bit uh, political, but not too much, we promise. Uh, but either way, it should be fun. Let's go. Alrighty, so um, we're going to be talking about my message uh, from two weeks ago first, and it was on uh, it was on dreams, which was a fun fun topic to tackle. Yeah, um, and basically there was a passage that had jumped out to me as we're going through. We're, we've been in a series in Ecclesiastes for a few months now, um, and as we've been making our way through. There was a passage that jumped out at me, and I and I asked you if I could if I could do a message based on it. Um, you actually preached from the same passage. Right. It's uh, Ecclesiastes five one through seven, and your message focused on the uh, the listening aspect in the passage. Right, you called it "Listen Up," and my passage was mainly, or my um, <clears throat> message was mainly. Again, the verse that jumped out at me was verse uh, 3. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. And then later in verse 7, he says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And he talks about it again, actually, in chapter 8 as well. It was that verse we talked about. I mean, I didn't talk about it yesterday, but he talks about this idea of dreams a bit. Yes. And so the connection there... The point of the passage is not to make, you know, commentary on dreams, but he does say it, and it it is a little striking. You know, for a dream comes with much busyness. I think the NIV says, uh, "For a dream comes with many cares." Right. And we know, like from science and things like that, that anxiety is the number one emotion associated with dreams. Right. Um, and so the connection there, he's he's not talking primarily about. Um, you know, the anxiety that dreams produce are like actual dreams is making a reference to um, the the people who are the big talkers. Oh, I'm going to do this and that and other thing. They have these dreams. I'm going to do all these great things for God. I'm going to do whatever. No, no, no. Stop talking so much. You right. sound like a fool. You can't keep those promises. Right. And you're just inviting anxiety. You're making all these plans and these promises that then you have to go out and achieve. Um, you're just asking for anxiety, too many cares, um, for with a dream comes much busyness right. and, and a fool's voice with many words. So that's the that's the uh, point of it. Um, so I took that and then just made a little bit of commentary. I talked, the message was broken in two parts, and I talked about um, this idea of uh, listening versus seeing. And how, as a society, uh, we build our lives around our eyes. 
Um, and our eyes have this ability to dart from one thing to another, to take in a bunch of different things. Um, but it's making us more and more ADD as a society. Right. Um, and, and scripturally speaking, that sort of uh, bouncing from thing to thing with our eyes, the Bible says, no, eyes shouldn't be what leads you. It should be your ears. You should be listening. And listening has this sort of inherent, um, it's an inherently humbling activity. Right. Because it requires giving somebody else your attention rather than listening to yourself. You've got to listen to somebody else so it's humbling. Because um, you don't then, speak as much, for right, one thing. Because you don't speak as much, and you, even if you're disagreeing with the person you're listening to, the act of allowing them to speak, the act of listening is is humbling, and then it also is inherently it slows you down a bit because um, you're not in control, you're not darting from here to there, you are sitting and and listening, and sitting's actually associated with listening a lot in scripture. Um, so I talked about that, how listening in. in the Bible's way of viewing things is better than seeing, um, which is based on, you had talked about it that a little bit in your message, so I played off of that. And the dreams coming with many cares, The when we, again, when our eyes are darting, typically our mouths are moving right. rather than listening. The eyes and the mouth are associated, and then the ears are what we should be doing. So I talked all about that and how listening kind of slows us down. It's a humbling activity. We will avoid the sort of um, anxiety that's produced when we make all these big promises um, and say, this is what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, and instead listen to the voice of the Lord. And then the second part was more about how, so the two parts were God owns our uh, waking dreams and he owns our sleeping dreams. Right. He owns it all. And so the first part focused on actual dreams and the anxiety involved in that. Well, and you talked about, it was very helpful, you talked about the English language, but really most languages, how uh, uh, flexible the word dream is. Right. And and the range of meaning that it has, and that was very helpful. Yeah, so I, and that's from. what I started with. It, it can be, because the preacher kind of uses it two different ways here, it can be used a million different ways, right. the word. And it's one of the more powerful words mm-hmm. for that reason. It can be talking about, you know, physical dreams, which we also don't understand that great. Right. There's a little bit of a mystery even there. And then it can also be talking about ambitions. It can be talking mm-hmm. about, you know, desires, um, fantasies. Like it can be used in all these all these kind of different ways. And, and so the second part did focus on, and I did a little bit of a, a biblical survey on the way that the word used. Um, so, but then the second part was... You know, our our dreams, our ambitions belong to God, um, and that's one that is you know, it's tough because you don't want to communicate. And I hope I didn't communicate that we shouldn't be people of ambition right. in a certain kind right. of way, but it, it just belongs to God. And right. one of the things that we're learning from Ecclesiastes is that there should be. We we should have dreams, but they should be pretty focused. They right. shouldn't be all over the place. Um, they shouldn't be anxiety-inducing. It should be a resting in God. Mm-hmm. Our sleep should be restful because right. we're resting in the arms of God, and that's kind of where I wrapped up. Yeah. And so how how were you thinking about the, the um, communication of the burden that you had? You know how how did that um, develop and come through and 
like I said, the passage just jumped out at me, and and it struck me that it was it's sort of practical the way that he says it. Like mm-hmm. um, anxiety, we're we're very anxious people. Um, it's we're more anxious now. Kids are more anxious now. Smartphones play into that quite a bit. Um, and again, when the eyes are darting about here or there, and we don't have this ability to rest, we remain anxious. Right. And so my burden was to sort of say that the Bible has some practical things to say about right. that. It has a lot to say about anxiety in general. Right. And how it's tied to so many other emotions and decision-making things. You know. And it's, it, it gets down to just the practicality of don't overcommit yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, with, you know, a dream comes with much busyness and many cares. We, we, I had preached before on, you know, do the thing that God's put in front of you right. to do today. Right. And that sort of way of thinking in Ecclesiastes is supposed to allow us to rest. It's supposed to allow us to, you know, eat and drink and enjoy what God's provided. It's the message there is don't get wrapped up in the million different things. Don't let your mind wander into the millions of things. You know, focus on what God's given you to do today, and then you'll find it's probably easier to rest. Toward the end of the message, there was a very... Uh, powerful um, move of the Spirit, so to speak, in terms of how you were communicating about uh, even the way that God uses dreams and has used dreams, you know, in in the believers' lives. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, You're talking about when I said, when I was making, this is an Ecclesiastes dream and then this is an Ephesians dream. So basically what I was doing there was, was saying, it's not as though, again, we're not called to not dream. That's not the point. Um, but we get the dreams slightly wrong sometimes, in it, and so I, I'm not going to remember them off the top of my head, but it was like, if you're dreaming, if your dream is that your kids and your grandkids and their grandkids are all going to have this legacy of right. um, glorifying God and uh, you know we're going to have this big family legacy, it's not a bad desire. It's just an Ecclesiastes dream. You, you know, when when your hope is or when your focus with the dream is on the legacy aspect of right. it, that's an Ecclesiastes dream. When, you're, when your dream is that, you know, one day God is going to wipe away every tear from your eye and your kid's eyes, that one day um, we are going to be with him together. Mm-hmm. That's a revelation dream, right? Um, because the focus isn't on the le- your legacy or right. or this um, one specific thing. It's on you know what the Bible says we should be dreaming about, right? Um, so I went through. I forget some of the others. Yeah, but I went through several and said, you know, when when you get them slightly wrong, it's an Ecclesiastes dream because if it gets taken away, then you're you know uh, devastated, you're anxious, you feel betrayed, whatever it is. Um, but if you if you dream. Philippians dreams or Colossians dreams, um, then that's a good thing. Yeah, and it what it communicated, and I and I felt that where, where it struck the church was that it's not that in, in Ecclesiastes. There's a lot of this in Ecclesiastes. It's not that the things in and of themselves are bad. Right. It's how they affect us, how we focus on them, what they mean to us, versus. They belong to God, right? And that 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 was in, in that moment the awareness that I think we had of the fact that that God's 
uh, gifts to us, including the dreams that he gives us, right. using dreams in the you know hope-filled sense. Right. Um, you know, again, they're not a bad thing in and of themselves, but the pursuit of them for the sense of our own legacy or for the sense of our own prosperity or for the sense of our own uh, well-being Mm -hmm. versus the mission, the plan, but more specifically, the relationship with the Lord uh, is where they go wrong. And it was just a very poignant moment of of how uh, God isn't necessarily trying to lead us by dreams to do great things it's to touch our lives to let a little bit of heaven come through into our lives so we are turning to him and desiring the relationship with him and so that that was it just was a very powerful moment all right we're gonna take a little break when we come back we're gonna discuss uh your message um from yesterday and get into a little bit of Macbeth, so we'll be right back. I want to tell you briefly about something uh, coming up in the life of Redeemer Church. We are having a two-week, or at least two-week during the fall, and then probably two weeks in the spring, of uh, something we're calling Engaging the Scripture. And it's going to be a not a hermeneutics class. It's going to be a um, an engaging. That's why we're using the word engage. Um, it's going to be an engaging, interactive right. sort interactive, of study right. where we are uh, just really learning how to uh, engage with the Scripture in not just an intelligent way, but in a way that uh, gets at our hearts. Because I think a lot of people find that it's difficult, particularly as a spiritual discipline, um, to really engage with the scripture at, right. at any deep level. And so uh, we want to learn how to do that. And do it in the context of community as well. Right. Because most, a lot of times we think of that in an individualistic way, and we really need to be thinking of it in a, in a community way. Right. So it will be in Lake Nona at mm-hmm. uh, Dad's house. We'll put the, the address probably on the website, but we'll put it on the website. It'll be October 26th. And November 2nd, two Saturdays back-to-back from 9 to 12, three hours. But again, it's not going to be three hours of teaching. It'll be a little bit of teaching, but mainly um, some interaction and and things like that. should be really fun. So you do not have to be a member of the church to join, and we'd love to see you there. All right, so why don't you give a much more brief summary than I gave of my message, uh, of your message from yesterday. Yeah, we're, we've reached Ecclesiastes 8, and um, it... Only took us three months to get yeah, there, no it's, problem. It's, uh, it's, um, and, and there's a point at which we're, we're, we're seeing that uh, the preacher is really trying to, to uh, deal with, hammer away at uh, the things that we tend to get focused on, whether it be wisdom itself, whether it be the pursuit of money, progress, technology, legacy, success, influence, happiness, all these different things. And finally comes to a place where he also deals with the whole issue of uh, political power and, and how we can 
how we should engage with that. Um, the thing that struck me, and this was a, a, a quote at the end of a, a, commentary, a chapter in the commentary of Derek, Derek Kidner, mm-hmm. Kidner, where he made just a quick reference to um, uh, Macbeth, you know, the quote from Macbeth about uh, <clears throat> life being a tale told by an idiot full of, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And it just struck me that uh, Macbeth's nihilism uh, really is very much like the uh, nihilism that um, the, the preacher was dealing with. Obviously, he wasn't dealing with it as a philosophy because nihilism hadn't been, quote, <laughs> invented at that point. But like the Scripture says, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. They were wrestling with those concepts and ideas. And it was just, it, 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 it created an opportunity I think for me to really be able to think about the chapter a little differently and still stay true to the exegesis of the right. actual passage. And so it was just very, very helpful and, and recognizing the, the challenges that, that uh, Macbeth had, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of he was trying to accomplish things through becoming king and the exercise of his political power only to then write at the, you know, key moment of of the play his wife dies and he's realizing that all of this is going to come to nothing right everything he's lived his life for everything he's trying to do it just is is coming to nothing and that's where the famous quote comes from is that sense of life is but a walking shadow which is interesting that the preacher uses that idea of shadow yeah, yeah. in chapter 8 as well. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And boy, we feel that when we read Ecclesiastes, yes. that that's really what he's trying to get us to believe. <laughs> right. And yet he then keeps throwing in these ideas and these thoughts of, no, enjoy life. Eat, drink, be merry. And it just, we just realized that, no, it's just another way we try to get control. Right. Anyway, so that was the and, idea. And the, the political aspect of it um, comes in, I'm looking part for of right chapter, now, yeah, when so he's, he's talking about the, them coming and in the going king's from the court. court. Yeah. Right, and how to act and don't, you know, stir up the... Uh, trouble with the king when he says something <laughs> right. stupid or you know whatever. Just you know keep your mouth shut and eventually get yourself out of the situation. Is kind of where he's going to be. Right. You know New Testament I- idea of being shrewd and you know whatever. So so then how did you apply when you got to the part where you political power um, mm-hmm. in scripture is not it, it was exercised at times God. God called people to exercise it. Right. Um, yeah, he did put people in places of political uh, responsibility and authority at times. But the, 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 the reality is, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that when we read the narrative of Scripture, we are realizing that the authors are trying to tell us that, you know what, these political folks are not in control. God, right. in his sovereignty, is behind the scenes making things happen the way that he wants to. And so Ecclesiastes is saying to us, but when we're reading these narratives, we're looking back on the sovereignty of God. When we're in the middle of it, we are fools. Right. And we make mistakes, and we get caught up in things. 
And, and there's a really interesting reference in chapter 8 where he talks about then those coming in and out of the temple are engaging in this um, power grab and throwing themselves behind um, the, the, the lure, if you will, the idolatry of political power, and that that's wickedness. And you just cannot read those passages and not think about just how often we sell out on our values right. and the things that we hold dear at this thought that we may have some influence politically. Right. right. And, of course, the 2016 election was just a nightmare for I think should have been a nightmare for for to watch, you know, Christian evangelical leaders just really look to me like sell their souls right. to stay in power. And I, so, how would you respond to somebody who would say that? How, sorry, I was got a little bit distracted by it. Some, Miles came in. Oh, it's Miles. That's yeah. who it is. I didn't realize we had a baby here. Um, how would you respond to somebody who says that we have responsibility as Christians to try to influence um, those in power? Not only is it a good thing, it's like our, it's, it's a responsibility. Um, that's an American notion. I don't, I don't think we have biblically a responsibility to do anything other than what God tells us to do. And if God opens a door for us to have that in a way that doesn't violate our commitment to the kingdom of God, then yes, do it. But, but when we fight and when we connive to stay in power or to get power, no, I don't think that's a responsibility at all. So we should just let our communities fall into whatever the world wants to have happen? We should not push back against that? No, we live in a free society. And so we have the ability to speak up we have the ability, the freedom to complain. We have the ability to protest. Um, and so, yes, exercise those rights. But those things are things that we can do that are um, things that are certainly okay to do, but they're not things that we sell our souls to do, right. that, we, that we compromise to do. Yeah, obviously I completely agree trying to play the devil's advocate a little bit here because it I think part of what happens is we we get into a it really is it's called a culture war for a reason. Like right. we get into this war mentality where somebody would probably respond to you like that's okay, you're saying we can protest or whatever, but what we really need to be doing if we actually want to move society in a direction towards biblical Christianity, it's going to take more than just being like, hey, I don't like the fact that you guys are, you know, killing babies. Don't do that anymore. No, we got to get in political power, change the law so that that becomes something that doesn't happen anymore. Right. And in order to do that, in order to achieve that good, yeah, we're going to have to work with some pretty shady characters. Yeah, working with shady characters and getting behind them and supporting them and asking others to vote for them and sent, you know, spend money for their campaigns and cow down to their uh, 
request of you. No, that's very, very different. You can, you can work with a shady person and keep your integrity. You cannot get behind and endorse an individual and say, this guy is God's man for America when he's not God's man at all. <laughs> right. And in case you think that we're, um, you know, making this up, Donald Trump has sort of, uh, of any politician, made it clear that he's requiring sort of a level of um, bowing mm -hmm. that we haven't really seen from politicians previously. And he's getting it. Like, yeah. he, he, that, he's getting the exact response from Christian leaders that, that he's looking for, and it has been. I don't know if you actually used the quote that no, I sent I you. But I, I had it, but I didn't end up Try to find it. it. But Jeffress, uh, Robert Jeffress is a, the pastor of a very uh, large, I think there's like 12,000 people in his Southern Baptist church in Texas. And he's on Fox News all the time. And he's become, again, he's achieved more influence and more power than he's had ever before by being the guy who's like, no, Trump is not only is are we working with him? He's the best president we've ever had. He's he is fabulous. And so I can't find the quote, but he he's got plenty of them if you want to go look them up. But uh, Falwell Jr. the same way. Yeah. Um, and these are not guys who have no influence. They they either lead some of the biggest Southern Baptist churches or university in Falwell's case. Um, Franklin Graham is another one who has a wide influence based on his father's work mostly, but then also based on his own Samaritan's Purse right. work. And like right. he's done some great things. But these guys and, and others like them who have um, these... How's it going, Sarah? Um, who have this level of influence that um, reaches thousands and thousands and thousands of yeah. evangelical Christians. Right. And what these evangelical Christians are being told by these guys is not just uh, we kind of kind of hold our nose and work with this guy. It's no no no. Bow down to Trump. Mm -hmm. No, he's great. Right. He's the best president. He is the one fighting for us. He's the one who is going to accomplish what the Lord wants to accomplish. <clears throat> and that is what happens typically when you try to align yourself with a bad person. Right. Is it He's not becoming more Christian. <laughs> right, it's, right. It's going the other direction. Well, when the preacher talks about that, you know, that it is wickedness, it's not just vanity, but it's wickedness. I mean, it, it's one thing to, to say, well, you know, we can hold our nose and, and recognize and say and even speak out against, you know, his moral failings and that kind of thing, which they don't really do. But, I mean, you could go down that road. But, I mean, when you start seeing that his approach to even his um, <clears throat> politicking is creating an uh, ethnic and racial divide in this country and that we're more polarized uh, racially now than, than we have right. been in a long time, that's when you start to see not just the, the, the moral wickedness that's involved, but then also just the political wickedness. And... The way I think it's part of the issue is the naivety about the way that power works. And right. probably not even naivety, but just the ignoring of what the t Scripture teaches about the way that power works. Right. As Christians, if our thought is we have to have power, right. the, the, 
political power, any kind of power, if you're thinking about and trying to go after power, right, you are not thinking like a Christian. Right, and it's idolatry. I mean, that's what the scripture would say is it's idolatry. And when you think about even the exercise of authority, I mean, the way to kind of take it out of the political realm, the, the chapter 8 out of the political realm and start saying, you know, what are some practical ap- everyday applications for us? It's like, well, you know what? As a father, you, you don't want to lead by power. Right. You don't want to exercise power over. You, you want to lead your children the way Jesus leads us. You want to shepherd mm-hmm. and guide and, and be loving. You know, if, if you are exercising power with your wife, right. you know, that is going to be a disaster. It's <laughs> not going to build a relationship. It, you know, and, and you're not going to be able to build a, a home that's going to produce fruit when you approach things that way. And you know what? You may exercise power as a leader for a while, you know, but it's not going to produce the fruit right. that you think that it's going to produce. Yeah, and when we, whether it is in our family life, <clears throat> in our, the life of our nation, when leadership is thought of as you have to have power to right. lead and it's the exercise of power, um, it's not going to have good results. But that's that's what we so easily get wrapped up into right. is, is leadership means authority. Authority means power. Power gets the, the, gets the job done. Right. It's like, no, that's not the biblical, that's not the Christian way right. of thinking about leadership at all right and that's where again full circle back to Macbeth and his nihilism that's where um, it can get dangerous the whole idea of of idolatrizing if that's a word um, you know the, <laughs> probably the, not probably not that you know the whole God and country thing right you know because because then you get in you you move from kind of Macbeth's nihilism into Nietzsche's nihilism right and you realize that you know if you're going to go down that road, then what Nietzsche would say is, then go down that road right. and take authority. And you know what? Just pull a Genghis Khan. Just right. control but so, it. And that's, that is a, a big argument on the right right now between yeah. you know David French and yeah. Sobrab Amari, whatever his name is, yeah. from First Things, where, where the First Things guys are like, no, 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 that's exactly right. Nietzsche was right. Take the power. Yeah. If you want to build a society a certain way, you have to have power to do it. The other side is is fighting is for power. Than, We've got to wrestle yeah. the power away so that we can create a society based on achieving the highest good for the highest. But it's like, what? What? Yeah. This I mean, is that's, the Christian perspective. Yeah. Are you kidding that's me? just the that's just the the twentieth century was the most brutal century <laughs> right. we've ever been through. I mean, people probably say you don't know what you're talking about you weren't around when gigas column was there <laughs> well yeah true but they i mean those yeah the, but the going the, after power the, is going after power and it building and, nations nation nationalism in that sense right you know it's just is wow it, it very scary. literally gets boiled down to might makes right yes and that's yeah. the way that power works which is why as christians we're called to something completely and utterly different different whether it's in our politics but more you know practically applicable and certainly more consistently applicable in the way that we relate to people every day right and we, we're not supposed to approach you know growing a business as a christian right. in a way that is 
you know, manipulating people to gain power over right, them to right. then get their money. Like the, it applies to everything. Our approach to, you know, leadership in any area of life, our approach to relationship in any area of life is not built on a power dynamic, which right. is the way a lot of the world sees things. Um, and we're called to something different. And, and it's not, you know, it's not easy. Of course, it's easier to be like, no, let's go get the power and do what we want whether it's politically or yeah. or even relationally, but that's not that's not what we're called to. Right. And the preacher would say, if you go that direction, you know, you'll probably end up like Macbeth one day saying, what, this is all meaningless. Right. Because you've been going after right. the wrong thing. And I just, you know, it, it, it has been a frustrating thing, you know, as far as the, it, it, it's just made the, um, polarization of the political realm so discouraging. Yeah. But there's always been polarization. Right. It's yeah, yeah. really, really bad. Yep. Well, the good news is uh, the Democrats are putting up a field of excellent candidates. <laughs> so 2020 is going to be fine. Don't worry. You're going to have great oh, choices gosh. on the other side of the field. So. Yeah. All right. Um, we will, we'll be back next week, and we promise... Uh, we will not be discussing the election. Yes, yes.